been studying a lot on the Apostle Paul, uh, just in my own private time. Um, so if you'd just like to turn to Galatians, and we've got a tack of reading from the first chapter, the first five verses. First five verses. <clears throat> chapter one, Galatians. It says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We'll just bow in a quick word of prayer before we continue. Jesus. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just commit, Lord, this time into your hands. Lord Jesus, we just pray, Lord, Lord, Holy Spirit, just come. Just come, Lord, direct us, Lord, through your word. Lord, enlighten us, Lord. Let that oil of illumination, Lord, hit our very hearts this evening. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you, Lord. We are in awe of you. Lord, we love you, Jesus. Lord, you are loved in this place. We cannot cease to give you the praise and honor that you deserve. We thank you for that great salvation. Lord, your mercy, Lord, your unboundless love that you have towards your people. And Lord, we just thank you, Lord, with a fullness of heart, Lord, that we can say we are the redeemed of Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this precious word that you have placed in our hands. And Lord, let us be guardians of it. And Lord, stand upon the promises that is the truth of your word. So, Heavenly Father, we just pray, Lord, let you be exalted this evening in the precious name and glorious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving you thanks. Amen. Well, to start off with, <clears throat> Galatians. This letter is a beautiful letter when you start getting into it, and maybe it's even just a wee bit of an introduction, maybe even this evening. To, to maybe even a small part of the letter of Galatians. But it is a beautiful letter. But to even start with Galatians, who were the Galatians? Where did they come from? And Galatia itself was a place geographically in Asia Minor, which would have been modern-day Turkey. And it would have been the province of Ankara in Turkey. And the name Galatia is Greek word for Gaul. That's what it means. It's Gaul. So the Galatians, in their ethnicity, were Celts. That's what they were. They were Celts. And if you look up the meaning of Celt, that actually means they originate from Britain or Gaul. They were Celtic people. They were Britons, Irish, Welsh, Scots. English. 
All right, all right. <laughs> I tell you what, you get all them in one room, I tell you. <laughs> but that's what they were anyway. And the Celts were offered land by one of the kings of that region, uh, 278 BC. Uh, they established themselves as a province there. So why am I telling you this? Why, why am I saying this? Because there's one thing that you won't hear very often in the churches about the letter of Galatians, is that they were Israelites. You won't hear that very often, but that's the truth. And I'll tell you why. This is where we're going. I know most of you would know about Israel and how they split into the two kingdoms. But just sort of to recap on this, as they split into the two kingdoms, you had the northern kingdom, which were the ten tribes, and the southern kingdom, which were the two tribes. We all know that the northern kingdom was taken away by the Assyrians. But when they were taken away, they were taken to the northest, northernest most border, if you like, of the Assyrian Empire. And this was for a reason, because they were being raided themselves by some tribes called the Scythians, which were up there. So they, they acted as a buffer zone when they were captured. So when the Assyrians eventually got embroiled into war with the Babylonians. That's then the, uh, the Israelites, or majority of the Israelites, managed to then migrate west yeah. over the Caucasus Mountains and everything else, and they went into Europe. So they went into Europe, and they went into Britain, Gaul, and that's where we have what was called the Celts there. Now, when you look at Scripture, the reason I am tell- telling you all this is because when I was looking in Galatians and knew nothing about this, there was one thing that struck me. Why was Paul speaking to them about the law if they were heathen? I remember thinking this before I even knew any of this. I remember thinking that. So if you go to Galatians chapter 3, 10 and 11, and you'll see what I mean. It says, for as many are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. Now Gentiles there, Gentiles we all know it means nations. That's what it means. So whenever you see the word Gentiles, it actually means nations. But what Paul is talking about, he's talking about keeping the law. And he's talking about the curse of the law. And if their ancestors or anything else had never been underneath the law, then why would they even know anything about the law? So you can see what what Paul is going on about. Even if you let your eye run down to verse 13. He says this, he says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles, there we go, the nations, through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So you see what I mean there? He's talking about being redeemed from the curse of the law, and he's even speaking about the blessing of Abraham. So these people would have had to have a knowledge of what Paul was talking about. This would have been completely wasted on them. Completely wasted on them. So you can see 
that they were, were Israelites. But one of the main things I love when I see things like this is that the Lord had already placed pockets of people that he knew in places that were going to spread the gospel. There were vehicles, nothing more. They were a vehicle for spreading the gospel right across the whole world so people could hear of what the Lord Jesus Christ had done. It was an amazing, amazing plan that went on through the eons of time. So that means then, if them people there, they had a responsibility to spread the word, so have we. That responsibility doesn't go away. It stays with us, his people. Whenever the Lord Jesus Christ shines his light into our hearts, whenever he, he, he lifts us from that place, whenever he just takes hold of us, then we have that responsibility to shine the light of the gospel for him, whoever we are. Another interesting fact is one of the amazing awakenings in history was maybe down to a large degree the letter to the Galatians. That was the Reformation. The Reformation, a man called Martin Luther, Catholic monk, he came to study the book of Galatians and he discovered the truth of the gospel. He discovered the truth of salvation and grace through faith. And he says this in the epistle to, he says, the epistle to the Galatians is my epistle. That's what Luther said. Luther then also said this. He said, I am married to it. Galatians is my Catherine. That's what he said. Now, Catherine was actually his wife. (laughs) That's why he said, so when he says... uh, so he was married to a woman called Catherine von Bora, and he called her Kathy. So when it's spiritually speaking, he says, Galatians is my Kathy. I knew that would make you smile, oh yeah. <laughs> so that's what he said, yeah, Galatians is my Kathy. Because it was such an enlightenment to him. For the one reason was it showed him freedom. It showed him freedom in Christ. There was no more bondage to be had. There was a freedom in it. You see, Galatians deals with these issues of law, of grace, of works, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, our Lord's death, his resurrection, our salvation, our sanctification. But the primary message of Galatians is freedom. It's freedom. When we are in Christ... We are free from sin. We're free from judgment. We're free from hell. We're free from all forms of spiritual bondage. We're liberated into the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and into his beautiful son and his kingdom. Now isn't that, even if we stopped there and said nothing else, that would just be enough to light your heart on fire. This letter shows a redeemed Christ paid our debt. That our salvation is secure and that we can't earn it. And it was critical for the Reformation because it set people free. It set people free from over a thousand years of spiritual darkness and bondage. 
by a Roman system. It was this book that brought a liberation to the body of Christ and set millions free. And isn't it amazing to think that that was a letter, just a part of this whole gospel, a part of this whole Bible that we hold in our hands. Such a revelation caused an awakening in God's people. And it makes my heart burn when I read things like this because I tell you why. I think, Lord, you don't change. That same revelation can set this nation back on fire again of who Christ is. John 8 and 32, it says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The battle cry of the reformers was found in Habakkuk 2 and 4. It says, Behold his soul, which is filled up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Reiterated in Romans 1 and 17, Galatians 3 and 11, and again in Hebrews 10 and 38. The just shall live by faith. This is the reason why we have freedom in our nation today. Freedom to worship, freedom to read this Bible. Because of the bravery of the men and women of the Reformation, they stood on the promises of God and the truth, even unto their very deaths. That's what they did. It's a sobering thought of a legacy and a responsibility that has been placed in our hands. But brother and sister, that's the truth. It has been placed in our hands. This word has been placed in our hands. It's up to us to stand upon it and stand for it, especially in this very day, because our freedom is being taken away from us bit by bit by bit. And we need to stand upon it. And this is one of the reasons why when we look in Galatians, Paul writes with such passion. Because there's a passion there because Paul is writing because people are starting to attack the truth, the purity of that gospel message that he gave to the Galatians. So when you look at verse 1, chapter 1, when he says, Paul, an apostle, straight away you'll know the address is his apostleship. I'm apostle. A personal commission from God. Apostle actually means the sent one. The sent one. And it's strange because Paul wouldn't usually start a letter like this. He would usually start a letter with either bond slave or servant. But because of what is happening at this time, he needs to assert his authority by saying he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. And in the Greek, it's, it's actually a legal term used. In today's language, it would mean something like the power of attorney. That's what it gives somebody who has complete authority to go and do what they are doing. He's saying, I have the authority of Christ to speak unto you. But it's beautiful when he says, in the rest of the verse, he says, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. It's amazing that he uses that phrase because you see that phrase just there. 
you could actually sum up the whole epistle of Galatians. Huh? Right there. It was never of a man. Salvation was never of man. The example was never of man. It was all of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Galatians is trying to sum up. So there he, so he's sending in about his apostleship and how it was, was of Jesus Christ. So this commission that was fell or befell Paul was on his Damascus Road encounter. And Paul completely built his ministry on the conversion of that Damascus Road. Everywhere he went, he spoke about it. In Acts 22, when Paul was arrested, he addressed the crowd, the people, and he tells them of his conversion. And then to their surprise, they actually find out the Romans, that he is a Roman citizen. And just as a bit of a, if you like, just as a bit of a, a, a sidetrack there, and I only found this out a few weeks ago. I always thought Paul's family, well, they were wealthy, but I always thought they bought their citizenship because of their wealth. But it's funny because I was actually reading, reading a book. I was, I was told by um, Pastor Graham there, he, said he, he, uh, he got me a book there and I was reading through it about Paul. And you actually find that his family were tent makers. So his, his, his father, his grandfather were tent makers. But they were renowned tent makers. And the thing was, his grandfather was commissioned by the emperor of Rome to make a tent for him. And he made the tent, he was so impressed by the tent that was made for him. The emperor of Rome personally gave them their citizenship. So that whole family was personally given citizenship by the emperor of Rome. That's why the guards were terrified when they found out who his family was. Because that was instant death. What they'd done to Paul. In Acts 26, Paul stands before King Agrippa and he tells him of his conversion also. And then Paul, when you look down further in the epistle in in chapter 1 there, if you let your eye run down to verse 13, he says this, he says, You have heard of my conversion in time past. In the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. And profited in the Jews' religion above many of my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. And this is the best bit. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Paul makes such a point of his conversion of, by Christ because he wants to emphasize the high calling of God. Because that's what it is. When the Lord calls us, it is the highest calling that you will ever have in your life. And it doesn't matter who you are. If you're saved, you've been called by God. That's the high calling of God. There's an old saying and it says, why would you stoop to be a king if the Lord has called you to be a missionary? And it is so, so true. And here when he says, I am separated, the word there is to appoint 
in the Greek, to set apart for some purpose. Paul was separated unto the Lord just as Jeremiah was called to be a prophet. It says, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained a prophet unto the nations. That's what the Lord said to Jeremiah. Exactly the same. There was a calling in his life. We have been called. We have been called by Jesus Christ to go and spread one of the most important messages that we will ever have. Christ and him crucified for the world. We've been called, brother and sister. Now I love what Paul says in Philippians 3 and 12. He says this. And I want you to get this. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehended that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Let me ask you something. Has Jesus Christ apprehended you? I mean really apprehended you. Is there a real change in your life? Has he really got a grip of your heart? I mean it now. Is there that real relationship? Is there that real drawing of Christ in your life? Because that's what Paul's talking about. He's apprehended me with his love. If you go back to look at verse 4 of Galatians chapter 1, says this, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Deliver there is a Greek word, askerial, and it means to pluck out, to draw out, to root out, to choose for oneself, to select one person from many. Isn't that amazing? And Paul gives us the most complete most full explanation of why he was called. But he also gives the most beautiful explanation of why any of us are called. Have a look at the start of verse 16 in Galatians chapter 1. And what does it say? To reveal his son in me. Whenever we are called of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to reveal his son in us. He is molding us, he is shaping us, he is forming us, and if we will let him, that's the ultimate goal, to reveal his son in us all. That's what he wants. And then he goes on to say that I might preach him among the heathen immediately. I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. And I just thought, can you imagine Paul here, the first time that he went to Damascus or he was on his way to Damascus? You know, he would have had all the Jewish Sanhedrin singing his praises about going to Damascus what he was going to do for the cause. He'd have been a hero maybe in some men's eyes as he set off on that road to Damascus. 
But all things changed there. He met with the Saviour. Whenever you meet the Master, you can never be the same again. And I love the way he said, I didn't confer with flesh and blood. But he went away to get alone with the Saviour. He went away to get alone with Jesus Christ. Because he wanted to meet him on a personal level. He wanted to develop that relationship. He wanted to know what he'd been missing all these years. But then he says he returned again onto Damascus. Now that would have been the hardest journey, wouldn't it? Because we forget when Paul come back, everything that he ever knew was taken away. Everything was taken away. I mean, some of his best friends would have now been his fiercest enemies. And even those that now he would call brother or sister in the Lord, let's be honest, they would mistrust him. They wouldn't trust him. Not initially. It would have been a hard, hard call to be in Paul's shoes. But Paul knew something. If he was going to give everything up for Jesus Christ, Christ is no man's debtor. He was going to be with Paul. He would strengthen Paul. He would move through Paul. And the things of this world are not to be counted when we come to the Lord for his glories. He was going to be a champion of God and not of men. He knew he needed to be set apart. That's what Paul was. He was set apart for God. If we look at verse 6 and we read down through verse 6 here, it says, I marvel. He's talking to the Galatian churches now. That you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so I say, I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. For you do, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be a servant. Of Christ. Paul was no man pleaser. And when you're called to the Lord, you can't afford to be a man pleaser. If you're a man pleaser, you're not a God pleaser. He could see the division that was starting to grow in the church at the time. And Paul had to address this situation. You see, Paul had to start addressing the situation that it was by faith in Christ. And nothing else. People were trying to add works onto it all the time. People were coming in and saying, we've got to stand, uh, hold fast onto the Jewish traditions and the customs and the law. And Paul was saying, no. It's by your faith in Christ and it's nothing else. He was keeping the purity of the word of God. And the sad thing about it, brothers and sisters, is that the position that Paul finds himself in there is the position we find ourselves in today. 
I mean, like, we, we, we can go through them all. We Mormonism, um, Jehovah's Witnesses, Catholicism, whichever one you want to pick out of those, you can all say that they've all been added to or they're adding to the gospel. One of the other biggest problems we have as well is not only are we having that situation in the church, but even in the so-called Christian church. But something, brother and sister, they're trying to take the Holy Spirit away from the church. They're actively preaching against it. Now, you can't tell me that that is any different than anything else we've already mentioned, because that is another gospel. It's as simple as that. Because Paul outlines it. He tells us about the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, how they move, and the operation of them. So Paul goes into so great a detail, just for then, for most churches nowadays, to say, well, they're not in operation for today. Well, then tell me, how is that not another gospel? Because it's in the Word. And I know when I call them, I call them Corinthian churches, to be honest with you. And I know we've got quite a few of them nowadays. They're all full of the Spirit, but there's no substance to them. But you see, it has to go in hand in hand. It's the Word and the Spirit. The Spirit and the Word. And any one of them take away and it just veers off onto a wrong course. They need to go side by side. And I always think one of the greatest examples of the Word and the Spirit was our Lord Jesus Christ. When he's come down and John the Baptist sees him and says, there he is, behold the Lamb of God that take away the sin of the world. He comes down, he baptizes him and the Holy Spirit descends upon him. And then he says he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested 40 days. Well, there is the greatest example. You had the Word and the Spirit in operation together. The Word was Jesus Christ embodied in flesh. And the Spirit of God had descended upon him. And what did he do? He showed the devil where to go. And that is exactly what he's missing in the church today. It's the Word and the Spirit side by side. Because that's where they're meant to be. That's where they're meant to be. And then... In Galatians, as I say, the main theme of Galatians is the just shall live by faith. So then do we have faith in Christ? Do we have faith that he is our provider? Do we have faith that he is our saviour? Do we have faith that he's our healer? Do we have faith in Christ? As it says in Numbers 23 and 19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man, that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall it not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Hebrews 13 and 8 says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever. So he doesn't change. He doesn't change his mind. He's not the same as us. What he says, you can stand upon. For millennia, because it will never change. So then when in Acts 2, verses 38 and 39, 
It says this, Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So if he doesn't change, and he doesn't change his mind, and then it says that in Acts 2, 38 and 39, it says, unto your children, and as many as the Lord will call, then does that not still apply today? The Spirit of God moving through his people. The Lord hasn't changed. We still live by faith in Christ, but we have to take him at his word. What his word says. And we're seeing exactly what it says in Hosea 4 and 6. It says, For my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou should be no priest to me, seeing that thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. We need to get back to the word. We need to see what the word says. And the simple thing is, there are many, many men in pulpits. And I believe they're sincere in what they do. But the thing is, people need to stop just accepting what they say and start using the rule or the canon, which is the rule of Scripture, to see whether it lines up. It's as simple as that. We need to be brave enough to stand up and say whether the word that is preached lines up with the word of God. Because let me tell you something. It was that same bravery that the the word was able to stand. It was that same bravery of the truth of the word of God that they were able to say, no, it is by faith in Jesus Christ and nothing else. And brother and sister, let me tell you something. It's the truth of this world that will set alight this nation again. That these freedoms that they're trying to erode from us, it's by standing on the word of God. It's by not compromising on it. It's by not being men-pleasers, but by being God-pleasers. That we will once again set this nation alight for the glory of God. It's beautiful when you look at that epistle of Galatians And I know as well, at times when I I look at the reformers and even when you read about them, the fire that they had, a passion for the word. And at times, it makes you humble because of the things that they went through for our freedoms. Because of the things they stood for. And because it was literally Christ alone. Jesus Christ and him glorified in everything. Brother and sister, that's what we need again. We need to stand upon them promises of God. And the best part about it is, I was brought up a Catholic. (laughs) And there's me talking about the reformers. Trust me, I'll get some stick. Mind you, I always say, you see the originals, they were all Catholics anyway. So I'm in good company there anyway. But no. <laughs> well, you better edit that bit. <laughs> he was a Catholic monk, wasn't he? Martin Luther, but there you go. 
No, but that's what it is, brother and sister. It's the word of God, and we must stick to it. We need to stick to it in this day and age. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless his word.